the future of space. Telerobotic communication and operations begins with the K-10 technology demonstration mission. Power astronauts in space trained to control the K-10 robot on the ground at NASA Ames. What are the future uses of telerobotics in space exploration? Grab your remote and find out next on NASA Edge. Okay, guys, for this episode, I'm reprising my role as principal investigator for technology demonstration missions. That explains my seemingly lack of knowledge on the topic we're going to discuss today. Did NASA approve this? Um, pending. It's pending, <laughs> but, I, but I did so well last time that I think it'll be no problem, and I will, just like Medley, just like my success story and, and case study, everything, I'll be set, so... Just go about your TDM business, and I'm going to be evaluating and asking key questions. Well, Chris and I had a good time out at uh, the Ames, uh, Ames Research Center uh, covering the K-10 mm -hmm. TDM test. Uh, it was an early call time. We got there around 3 o'clock in the morning. Astronauts were awake. Test team was awake. And... Uh, we were wide awake. Yeah, we. <laughs> well, were you really wide awake at four in the morning? That's debatable, but uh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> but it was actually the third test in a series of three tests where Karen Nyberg, who's an astronaut on station at the time, actually remotely operated the K-10 rover on the roverscape. Wait, had she been the operator on the previous mission, or, or did they pass the baton amongst the astronauts? Yeah, it had three different astronauts, and Karen was the third in, in the test, and then we had a chance to go out there, uh, luckily, to, to cover her uh, her run. Yes, and Chris talked to some of the engineers and software people that worked with the uh, user interface that uh, Karen was using on the ISS, and I was actually in the control room over there at the uh, Ames uh, with some researchers as they went through the test, and it was a pretty, pretty interesting morning. But first, I had a chance to talk with Terry Fong, who's the project manager for the Human Exploration Telerobotics. He sort of kind of gave us the top-level approach of the whole uh, surface telerobotics test conducted at Ames. So Terry, tell us about the surface telerobotics test that we're going to be watching today. Yeah, today we're having uh, Karen Nyberg on the International Space Station remotely operate the K-10 robot here in the roverscape at NASA Ames. I understand you've been testing all summer. Have you been doing the same test throughout the summer or different setups? Well, the overall goal for surface telerobotics is to look at how astronauts in space, on a spacecraft like the space station, can operate robots on the surface of other planets. And we've been actually simulating a possible future lunar mission where you would have an astronaut in orbit above the moon control a robot to do work on the lunar far side. We've actually conducted two test sessions before today, and today Karen Nyberg is going to help us sort of round out the overall testing. And what are sort of the objectives that we're looking at today? Today we're trying to look at really the deployment of a simulated radio telescope. So Karen's going to be in charge of laying out a telescope with the K-10 rover, and then after that she's going to use the rover to inspect it and document the actual deployed location of the telescope. I think for us, really, the, the whole technology of telerobotics or remotely operating a robot is something that's very important for NASA in the future. On the space station today, we operate robot arms just on the other side of the bulkhead. It's not that far away. And for the future, we'd like to be able to extend the astronaut's reach all the way down from orbit to the surface. I mean, what's it take to pull a test like this off? This test really involves a collaboration between engineers, uh, roboticists, scientists, uh, flight controllers, mission operators, really a large team. There's work being done here at NASA Ames, uh, at Jet Propulsion Laboratory, and also some colleagues at the University of Colorado Boulder. So it's a large team, but we're all working together to understand how we can remotely operate robots 
to really improve the way that astronauts can explore other places. Tell us the difference between the three different tests uh, that have been conducted here this summer. Yeah, uh, surface telerobotics as a whole is looking to simulate a future possible mission. This mission would involve deploying a radio telescope on the lunar far side. And so what we've done through our three test sessions to break that mission apart and test different phases throughout the three sessions. In the first session, Chris Cassidy used the robot to survey the terrain behind me. It was a simulated a lunar environment. During the second session, Luca Parmitano deployed a telescope using a film-based telescope that was deployed off the back of the robot. Okay. Uh, and today, during the third session, Karen Nyberg is going to go out and inspect that deployed telescope. What do you see the next steps for the surface robotics testing? Yeah, our testing this summer here has really been about collecting basic information to understand how to build this kind of system for the future. Um, once we finish the testing today, we're going to spend some time looking at all the data collected from the past three sessions to try to figure out how do we actually design and build future uh, remotely operated robots. So it's fair to say that at some point in the future, maybe, maybe in your lifetime, uh, that instead of controlling, let's say, curiosity from the planet and sending commands, we could actually have astronauts in orbit around Mars operating a robot. Yeah, that's exactly right. I mean, it's our goal to enable astronauts to make use of these robots uh, from any place in the solar system, whether they're controlled from Earth or from orbit, maybe even from the surface in a habitat and just have robots working uh, out in the field. Uh, it's really all the same thing, remotely operated robots to improve the way that we do exploration. All this technology that you're using here today, how does that benefit us in, in, in the public sector? Well, the thing that really excites me about this technology is that it's really approving the way that we can use robots to do work remotely. We know already, in fact, that on Earth, you can use robots to explore the depths of the ocean from the surface. Uh, in space, we're trying to use uh, robots like K-10 to allow astronauts to remotely explore other planets. But here on Earth, you can use the same sort of approach so that you know you or I could actually work at an office, say in Houston, while living in I don't know, Hawaii. Uh, the whole idea of being able to live in one place and work remotely um, is what we're trying to really enable using robotics technology. Is K-10 an actual concept that will be used on Mars down the road? K-10 for us, is, it's a research robot here. It's got a lot of interesting technology that we hope to one day see in flight. Uh, the software that's on board, the software that's off board, descendants of those pieces of, of software may one day end up in an actual flight rover. Now, is this really the prequel to R2-D2? <laughs> well, you know, I, I think that we're on a, a path to eventually have robots that are like the robots we see in the movies. Uh, and one of the things that's just so much fun about my job is trying to make science fiction into reality. So you're paving, I mean, you're sort of laying the, the foundation uh, for the future. Well, we hope so. And maybe not just the pavement, maybe we're actually moving along that road together. I don't want to immediately bring up questions, but since I'm doing an investigation... Is this really a pre-investigation or is this... It's a pre-pre-investigation. Uh, okay. It's at very early stages. Right. My first question is, you guys claimed you were out at four in the morning. Correct. Now, all I'm seeing is pure daylight in this interview. Now, you got to explain to me what, what's going on. I mean, were you really up early or was... You know, you're trying to pull the wool over my eyes or what? I, I got to know because I got to get the details correct. We were sitting in the morning sun. The morning sun. Yes, it was just coming up over the horizon. You know, we had to get there early to set up, and, you know, the team was in place, and it was done under the cover of darkness. I mean, we actually started taking video when it was, was pitch dark outside. Yeah, so. But the cool thing you need to put in your investigation, or, or maybe ask if you're going to call Terry personally and ask him some questions, is the fact that one day astronauts will be operating, maybe not K-10, but other robots, whether they're on, they're orbiting Mars, they're orbiting an asteroid, the moon, other planetary bodies, and this is just to kind of paving the groundwork for, for that. 
Yeah, and you know, it's really, I like the way you phrase that because you're really getting to the point where you think differently. Usually we think of landers going to a surface and deploying out like this, but getting a rover perhaps, but now it's a rover, it's other right. robots, it's perhaps some other aerial craft that right. you may be controlling, a lot of telerobotics in the future. And so my question is then, how are these astronauts, particularly the ones that participated in this test, how are they even prepared to do this? How do you train to run a telerobotic situation while you're up on station? He's the man. Well, that brings us to our second interview with Maria Borat. She talked to me about this in the Multi-Mission Operations Center. So we had no training on the ground before they went up to station. Uh, we're doing onboard training or just-in-time training. Correspondence course? What? Sort of, okay. actually. Yeah, they, they read the manual for the, the GUI, for the crew GUI. This is a video game they're playing. <laughs> do you, do it they, is did, in a way. Did they really read the manual? Some more than others. <laughs> <laughs> you can tell? Um, yeah, you can, you can tell to some extent that we found that the, the GUI is very easy to use. We've gotten positive feedback. Before you go any further, what's GUI? Graphical user interface. Okay. So it's the interface, that you, the screen that you work with, buttons and images. Gotcha. They're finding it very intuitive. Mm -hmm. So they're finding using the GUI is very easy, where the manual helps more sort of in the operational issues of like, well, what do I do if I encounter this? It's, mm -hmm. it's not so much that they don't know how to make the robot do things, it's more, what do I do in this situation? All right, if I were to sit down at a console and you put these controls in front of me and say to operate, the robot, mm -hmm. would I be able to do it by just looking at the screen? Are there any kind of on-screen directions? Pretty, pretty close, yes. You have like a DVR? Yes, actually yes. I do. Yeah, well, um, the controls for running plans on the robot, the, mm -hmm. the task sequences, are basically like DVR controls. There's a play button, there's a pause button. Idiot proof? Pretty close. Okay, good yeah, deal. Yeah. All right. <laughs> <laughs> the robot actually saves itself, so even if you you tell it to run into a rock, it'll refuse to do so. So the robot says, uh-uh, there's an obstacle there. I can't go that way. Speaking of running into a rock, while we were at the Roverscape, uh, we found out about the 3D laser on top. Tell me a little bit about that. On the ground, we use both the laser and stereo cameras, which is the way we as humans see 3D mm -hmm. uh, with stereo eyes. And that gives information about the shape of the terrain, you know, where are the lumps and bumps and, and slopes. And so we depict that in the, the virtual 3D view that she has in the GUI. We show the shape, but we also color code it. So if it's nice and flat or a very small slope, uh, it'll be green. If it's a little bit tricky, it might be uh, yellow or orange. And if it's, the rover will not drive over it or it's dangerous, it'll be red. And so that's how, when she's driving the robot around, she can tell whether it's safe to drive into a certain area or not. Your technology demonstration is, is complete. Where to next? Um, that's actually a good question. Um, for the most part, for the next few months, we're going to be analyzing our data. So we ask the crew a lot of questions. Uh, we want to you know, look through all that and see what kind of feedback they've given us. We also want to understand um, some of the more sort of underlying technologies. So we've collected a lot of communication data you know, between the robot and, and the station looked at, you know, button presses in the GUI, uh, you know, rover telemetry as far as the, the rover's health and, and how it performed. So we're going to be analyzing a lot of data over the next couple of months. So Maria, you've been up since uh, 2, 3 o'clock this morning. Yeah. Uh, 
your test is over. I think you deserve a vacation. And I'm finally going to take one. <laughs> so I, one of the things about uh, working with ISS scheduling is that you're not absolutely certain when your, your sessions are going to be uh, scheduled. And so I didn't dare take vacation this summer because I didn't know when we'd end up having a session. So I'm definitely going to start taking vacation now. <laughs> so Blair, you're a gamer, right? Absolutely, without question. You know what? Maria made this sound so easy and the user interface so intuitive that even you could pick it up because I know you'd never look at a, a manual when you open up a new game. Yeah, but, but see, that argument's kind of uh, a flawed argument. I mean, because I don't have to read a manual because I'm so good. It ha it's not based on the simplicity of the game. It's because I'm a natural gamer and I'm talented in that realm. There's a well, lot of swag coming from you right now. Yeah, yeah but, but, but yeah. you've got to realize there's, there's a big difference between controlling, let's say, a K-10 rover from ISS or a planetary system as opposed to playing the Atari 2600 eight wow. hours a day. Wow. You know, so, what? You, know, I just, <laughs> you know what? I did see an old unit the last time I was over at your house. I know. But, but seriously, no, I think, it, I think it's a, a good point. I mean, part of the reason it has to be simple, it's just like we talked about earlier, they don't have a lot of training or access. You don't spend hours uh, preparing to drive this rover. They want something they can just pick and uh, like plug and play. Well, one, well the difference between uh, operating a, a, a rover on the surface of Mars and working in the ISS, the astronauts on the ISS are continually working on different projects. So they just got handed this one like the morning of. Karen got that the morning of, she opened it up and she made it happen. Uh, if you're gonna train for a mission to Mars, you will definitely put some more time in yeah, on it. That's a, good, that's a good point. Yeah, obviously NASA does a lot of complex things. Not everything they do is simplistic. So is the reason for simplicity now, does that have to do with the fact that you're developing a platform and the sort of the, the stakes are so high in terms of using ISS resources and, and putting these ground resources into play at a particular time? Uh, you know, I think it's just keeping it simple for the sake of keeping it simple. Nobody wants to decipher the Da Vinci Code while they're orbiting Mars. Yeah. You, no, it really. You know, if you want to pick up uh, and operate uh, a, a rover that's going to be on the surface of Mars, make it work like a video game. Yeah, yeah. Keep it simple. And, and if they can test the software and, and, and make it work and successful, I mean, you can apply it to a wide range of robotic vehicles, not just rovers. Yeah, and so do you think for my investigation I should be able to download the software maybe and at least put it through its paces, you know, on my Atari 2600, if you will? <laughs> yeah, if, it, if it's in basic, sure. Okay. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> we also had a chance, Franklin, to, to meet with the ops side. We, we met with some engineers and some researchers who were up with us at 4 o'clock in the morning. So Susan, are you tired? Yeah. Very tired. You're the engineering lead for the test. Mm -hmm. Kind of tell us what happened early this morning, starting at, at 4 a.m. when you started working and about the test itself. So at 4 a.m. We, we start one rover at a time. And so we start up the controller, which is the software that runs the robot. Right. It's dark outside, so there's some things we can't test. We can't test the cameras and the navigation, but there are certain parts that we can test, like to make sure that it can drive. So we get the first rover all set up taken outside, then we move to the second robot, and then we run a couple simple tests just to make sure we're connected to the rover, right. we're getting the data. Right. And then it's listening to the loops, the space-to-ground loop, which is when the astronaut talks to mission control, and try to anticipate or see any problems before maybe they even notice it, so we can have an answer or a fix for them as soon as possible. How do you even get the signal from, from the International Space Station 
down to the K10 rover. It goes through a lot of different places. So from the ISS, it went through JSC, which is the mission control. And from there, we had a router that actually routed the message from the ISS to here at Ames okay. to the K10. The message layer that it was using was something that we developed here called Rapid and allowed us to write our software and communicate and let Karen control the robot here at Ames. Now, with all that, what kind of delays were we talking about in terms of Karen operating the rover to actually seeing the rover move? Surprisingly, we were, we were expecting a, a, quite a bit of delay, but uh, it ranged between a second to wow. uh, maybe even less than that. So it wasn't uh, that long. Although we did have a video feed and we could see the delay where we'll see the messages here and then it'll appear on her workstation. Basically what you're saying is it's faster to send a signal down from the ISS to the K10 than it is for me to get on the internet and go to some of these websites. Yes, <laughs> definitely. Right. Now during the actual tests, there would be times where it would go in maybe four or five feet mm -hmm. and then it would stop and then you have a one to two minute period where it was stationary mm -hmm. and then it would go again. Mm -hmm. What's going on during that lag time between runs? So usually it's taking a, a camera image. Okay. So we have a downward facing camera called the inspection camera. And when we're deploying the film, for example, we like to take pictures, you know, every couple like meter or two so that the astronauts could tell us, oh, there's a tear in the film or this doesn't look right, it didn't deploy properly. Other times it's taking a panorama, okay. so it's trying to like, get a bigger picture view of, you know, did it lay out the film correctly? Are there interesting features in the view? But besides the pictures, Karen can see that in real time with the cameras. The hazard cameras, which are, or the navigation cameras, which help the robot see obstacles. They're the two cameras at the very top, like the, the yeah, eyes. Yeah, yeah the right, eyes. Right. And so she sees that feed in real time. Okay but there's also other cameras that are higher resolution and in color, and those are only taken when we ask. And is she taking those stills herself? Or yes, so in the plans, um, there's certain um, points called waypoints, right. and at each waypoint, you might have a command to take an inspection image or a panorama image, and if all things go as planned, it'll go to those stations and take those images. But sometimes, like, it'll take an image and you'll be like, this isn't the image that I wanted, it's not pointing the direction. Right then it's Karen, the astronaut's responsibility to, you know, maybe rotate the robot a little bit to take the image that the ground requested. Now, what do you see as the next steps for this? Uh, I'm hoping for, uh, you know, in future missions that we can not only control K-10, but um, other robots that were developed by NASA or, or anyone else. Any robot that uses this framework um, will be able to be controlled in a unified uh, wow. okay. software. You know, hopefully we can get some future missions so that the astronaut can not only control K-10, but also athlete from JPL, maybe the um, MMSEV from right. GSC, right. and some other, other robots from other different centers. And not only uh, can it be used in a variety of ways for, for space exploration, but uh, maybe in the, in the medical field, you know, uh, remote controlling of a robot, um, you know, as a doctor is in United States and he has patients in, in other places. And, and maybe even deep sea diving, you know? And so, yeah, there's a lot of applications that we can see for this in the future. Take the turn, 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 turn. <laughs> we thought for a second that uh, Karen was doing some four wheeling. Yeah, so Kaitan can go over small rocks of like about 
maybe half the size of the wheel. It can actually go over bigger, but we don't let it. <laughs> <laughs> so how did it go today, from your perspective? I think it went really well. Yeah, um, we always expect there to be like small problems here and there, but we developed a bunch of contingencies, like if this happens, then this is what we're going to do. So we've been preparing for a really long time, and I think it paid off today. All the engineers and technicians that worked that mission, they were pretty young. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're, they're of the gamer generation and they know how and what it is, what it feels like to work with uh, software that is easy to use. And I think that's one of the things that they yeah. were trying to do with the uh, astronauts in this, this TDM. I think you need to keep in mind with that report is, is look at the age of these engineers. I mean, they're not just, you know, they're not 50, 60 year old folks. I mean, these, these are young people, just fresh out of college or five or six years out of college. Yeah, Chris does not like older. <laughs> Uh, yeah. I'm, okay. No, it's no. It's an interesting point. I, I think part of that is just the emergence of the technology and and the life uh, span that it has. Because it seems like even though this this demonstration is going to help NASA in the short run, you see tons of long range ap uh, applications for it. Right. I mean, I'm just wondering one day, am I going to be sitting there gaming, playing uh, my particular console and decide, well, I want to go take a, a flight uh, around Mars and I'll control a drone or something or control some kind of rover and do my own work as just an average person. Or better yet, you're, you're a student in a fifth grade class and today's topic is robotics and every kid is operating their own rover on another planet. From their iPad. From their iPad. iPad? Are you kidding me? Those will be passe. <laughs> <laughs> You're watching NASA Edge. An inside and outside look. At all things NASA, if they pass my investigation, by the way. I just I didn't want you to lose the impact of the significant moment for me, so bear that in mind. Quit your jibble jabble. <laughs> what was that? <laughs> What was that? First name, Mr. Middle name, Junior. Last name, Who's that? It's my Mr. Tina Pocket. <laughs> <laughs>